Chapter Sixteen of A Sicilian Romance by Anne Radcliffe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Sixteen. In turning up the ground of the cell, it was discovered that it communicated with the dungeon in which Ferdinand had been confined, and where he had heard those groans which had occasioned him so much terror. The story which the Marquis formerly related to his son concerning the southern buildings, it was now evident was fabricated for the purpose of concealing the imprisonment of the Marchioness. In the choice of his subject, he certainly discovered some art, for the circumstance related was calculated by impressing terror to prevent farther inquiry into the recesses of these buildings. It served also to explain by supernatural evidence the cause of those sounds and of that appearance which had been there observed, but which were, in reality, occasioned only by the Marquis. The event of the examination in the cell threw Ferdinand into new perplexity. The Marquis had confessed that he poisoned his wife, yet her remains were not to be found, and the place which he signified to be that of her confinement bore no vestige of her having been there. There appeared no way by which she could have escaped from her prison, for both the door which opened upon the cell and that which terminated the avenue beyond were fastened when tried by Ferdinand. But the young Marquis had no time for useless speculation. Serious duties called upon him. He believed that Julia was still in the power of banditti, and on the conclusion of his father's funeral he set forward himself to Palermo, to give information of the abode of the robbers, and to repair with the officers of justice, accompanied by a party of his own people, to the rescue of his sister. On his arrival at Palermo, he was informed that a banditti, whose retreat had been among the ruins of a monastery situated in the forest of Marentino, was already discovered, that their abode had been searched and themselves secured for examples of public justice, but that no captive lady had been found amongst them. This latter intelligence excited in Ferdinand a very serious distress, and he was wholly unable to conjecture her fate. He obtained leave, however, to interrogate those of the robbers who were imprisoned in Palermo, but would draw from them no satisfactory or certain information. At length he quitted Palermo for the forest of Marentino, thinking it possible that Julia might be heard of in its neighborhood. He traveled on in melancholy and dejection, and evening overtook him long before he reached the place of his destination. The night came on heavily in clouds, and a violent storm of wind and rain arose. The road lay through a wild and rocky country, and Ferdinand could obtain no shelter. His attendants offered him their cloaks, but he refused to expose a servant to the hardship he would not himself endure. He travelled for some miles in a heavy rain, and the wind, which howled mournfully among the rocks, and whose solemn pauses were filled by the distant roarings of the sea, heightened the desolation of the scene. At length he discovered, amid the darkness from afar, a red light waving in the wind. It varied with the blast, but never totally disappeared. He pushed his horse into a gallop and made towards it. The flame continued to direct his course, and on a nearer approach he perceived by the red reflection of its fires streaming a long radiance upon the waters beneath, a lighthouse situated upon a point of rock which overhung the sea. He knocked for admittance, and the door was opened by an old man who bade him welcome. Within appeared a cheerful blazing fire, round which were seated several persons who seemed like himself to have sought shelter from the tempest of the night. 
The sight of the fire cheered him, and he advanced towards it, when a sudden scream seized his attention. The company rose up in confusion, and in the same instant he discovered Julia and Hippolytus. The joy of that moment is not to be described, but his attention was quickly called off from his own situation to that of a lady, who during the general transport had fainted. His sensations on learning she was his mother cannot be described. She revived. My son, said she in a languid voice, and as she pressed him to her heart, great God, I am recompensed. Surely this moment may repay a life of misery. He could only receive her caresses in silence, but the sudden tears which started in his eyes spoke a language too expressive to be misunderstood. When the first emotion of the scene was past, Julia inquired by what means Ferdinand had come to this spot. He answered her generally, and avoided for the present entering upon the affecting subject of the late events at the castle of Mazzini. Julia related the history of her adventures since she parted with her brother. In her narration it appeared that Hippolytus, who was taken by the Duke de Lovovo at the mouth of the cave, had afterwards escaped and returned to the cavern in search of Julia. The low recess in the rock through which Julia had passed he perceived by the light of his flambeau. He penetrated to the cavern beyond and from thence to the prison of the marchioness. No color of language can paint the scene which followed. It is sufficient to say that the whole party agreed to quit the cell at the return of night, but this being a night on which it was known the Marquis would visit the prison, they agreed to defer their departure till after his appearance, and thus elude the danger to be expected from an early discovery of the escape of the Marchioness. At the sound of footsteps above, Hippolytus and Julia had secreted themselves in the avenue, and immediately on the Marquis's departure they all repaired to the cavern, leaving in the hurry of their flight untouched the poisonous food he had brought. Having escaped from thence, they proceeded to a neighboring village, where horses were procured to carry them towards Palermo. Here, after a tedious journey, they arrived in the design of embarking for Italy. Contrary winds had detained them till the day on which Ferdinand left that city, when apprehensive and weary of delay they hired a small vessel, and determined to brave the winds. They had soon reason to repent their termidity, for the vessel had not been long at sea when the storm arose, which threw them back upon the shores of Sicily, and brought them to the lighthouse where they were discovered by Ferdinand. On the following morning, Ferdinand returned with his friends to Palermo, where he first disclosed the late fatal events of the castle. They now settled their future plans, and Ferdinand hastened to the castle of Mazzini to fetch Amelia, and to give orders for the removal of his household to his palace at Naples where he designed to fix his future residence. The distress of Amelia, whom he found recovered from her indisposition, yielded to joy and wonder, when she heard of the existence of her mother and the safety of her sister. She departed with Ferdinand for Palermo, where her friends awaited her, and where the joy of the meeting was considerably heightened by the appearance of Madame de Menon, for whom the Marchioness had dispatched a messenger to St. Augustine's. Madame had quitted the abbey for another convent, to which, however, the messenger was directed. This happy party now embarked for Naples. From this period, the castle of Mazzini, which had been the theater of a dreadful catastrophe, and whose scenes would have revived in the minds of the chief personages connected with it, painful and shocking recollections was abandoned. On their arrival at Naples, 
Ferdinand presented to the king a clear and satisfactory account of the late events at the castle, in consequence of which the marchioness was confirmed in her rank, and Ferdinand was received as the sixth Marquis de Mazzini. The marchioness, thus restored to the world and to happiness, resided with her children in the palace at Naples, where after time had somewhat mellowed the remembrance of the late calamity, the nuptials of Hippolytus and Julia were celebrated. The recollection of the difficulties they had encountered, and of the distress they had endured for each other, now served only to heighten by contrast the happiness of the present period. Ferdinand soon after accepted a command in the Neapolitan army, and amidst the many heroes of that warlike and turbulent age, distinguished himself for his valor and ability. The occupations of war engaged his mind, while his heart was solicitous in promoting the happiness of his family. Madame de Menon, whose generous attachment to the Marchioness had been fully proved, found in the restoration of her friend a living witness of her marriage, and thus recovered those estates which had been unjustly withheld from her. But the Marchioness and her family, grateful to her friendship and attached to her virtues, prevailed upon her to spend the remainder of her life at the palace of Mazzini. Amelia, wholly attached to her family, continued to reside with the Marchioness, who saw her race renewed in the children of Hippolytus and Julia. Thus surrounded by her children and friends, and engaged in forming the minds of the infant generation, she seemed to forget that she had ever been otherwise than happy. Here the manuscript annals conclude. In reviewing this story, we perceive a singular and striking instance of moral retribution— we learn also that those who do only that which is right endure nothing in misfortune but a trial of their virtue, and from trials well endured derive the surest claim to the protection of heaven. End of chapter 16 End of A Sicilian Romance by Anne Radcliffe Read for LibriVox.org by Betsy Bush